we didn't have a strategy then, right? We were just thinking tactically and didn't have kind of a roadmap. So when we started, we were like, okay, the thing we know that's going to persist at the end of all this is the data, right? The technology will come and go, the program will come and go, but the data is something that will always be there. Right. That, that being something that one of my former bosses and mentors did say to me, that everything comes back atomically to the data. So mm. always remember that the data is key. On October 25th, we're coming back to Melbourne for our first physical MLOps event. Whether you are just starting in the MLOps journey, improving in that space, or whether you have thousands of models in production, this event is for you. The type of things we're going to cover is MLOps for scale. And that scale can be number of models or the number of people in the team or the number of prediction and inferences that need to be made in an hour or a minute or a second. So how to create effective MLOps for all those scenarios. We're gonna cover MLOps processes and team structures. How do we organize ourselves and the talent that we have in our organizations for better results in MLOps. We're gonna be looking at creating efficient and effective MLOps pipelines in an end-to-end. -end. What does the data look like, the feature stores, all the way to the model deployment, serving, monitoring, alerting, etc. We're also going to cover getting a C-level buy-in and support for the investment in this area. We're going to be covering what governance and good management looks like in this space. So wherever you are in your journey, the MLOps event in Melbourne on October 25th is going to help you increase the maturity of MLOps in your organization. I hope you can join us. See you then. I'd like to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading specialist data recruitment business. With offices in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, they're experts at providing recruitment strategy and building data teams for clients across industries Australia-wide. They provide recruitment solutions for all roles across the data lifecycle, including data engineering, data science, advanced analytics, customer and marketing insights, business intelligence, data product managers and data governance. They're skilled at finding the best permanent and contract hires for your business needs, as well as statement of work, project focus, data resources. At Talent Insights, relationships matter most. I can say from first-hand experience, Talent Insights are fantastic to work with. Whether you're a business leader within an HR network or a specialist data candidate, Talent Insights should be the first company you turn to for all your data recruitment needs. Find them at talentinsights.com.au. Hi and welcome to Data Futurology. My name is Felipe Flores. Thanks so much for joining us today. We have a very, very exciting episode today. We're going to be speaking to Brad Petri. He's the Executive Director of Operations, Insights and Digital Channels at the Department of Jobs, Precincts and Regions. Brad, thank you so much for joining. How are you going today? Yeah, good. Thank you. And uh, thanks very much for having me on the podcast. Very excited to be here to chat to you. Right. Thank you so much. We'll be discussing analytics and AI in digital transformations in general, but we're going to talk about uh, Brad's experience and his learnings uh, throughout the career. Uh, I was telling him before that he looks surprisingly young for everything that he's achieved so far. Uh, so we have a great episode ahead. Mate, we might get started by um, if you can tell us about your, your role in your remit at the moment, and then we can jump from, from there. Sure. Uh, so my role has changed quite a number of times uh, over the last few months, but what I'm currently doing uh, is the Executive Director of Operations, Insights and Digital Channels at the Department of Jobs, Precincts and Regions. 
more specifically uh, working primarily around Jobs Victoria and secure work. So uh, my role includes our technology delivery and digital transformation program, which we've been running for about 18 months on the Jobs Victoria side. Um, all the data, data analytics, um, engineering, and the sort of, you know, more of the analytics around you know, data science and machine learning. Um, but I also have a couple of operational areas. So um, I run our program administration team, which essentially manages all of our grant processes and our payments for all of our providers. Um, and a couple of other little bits and pieces kind of attached for good measure. So um, it's a very broad and sort of um, interesting set of teams that work with me, um, but definitely have um, uh, a passion on the data and the technology side. That's kind of my happy space. Mate, I love it. It is it is broad, but the the combination um, of of those different capabilities is so powerful. Um, and and sometimes we see in digital transformations that things sometimes get done in kind of in silos. But it seems like in your case, you're able to to bring all the different uh, areas together from you know from from the tech to the data analytics uh, to a bit of operations. Bring it all together. What what type of um, what type of uh, benefits or strengths are you seeing from being able to to bring to integrate those uh, closer? It's interesting. Um, I didn't probably appreciate the benefit of having kind of all of the capabilities around data and optimization and business process improvement and design mm -hmm. coupled with an operational area until it was kind of brought together sort of by chance, to be quite honest. So we had a bit of a reorg internally and uh, was asked the question, look, are you happy to kind of take this on? And I was like, oh, it's not really my kind of area of expertise, but sure. Um, and, you know, of course, the light bulb went off when I realised that, you know, the entire program administration team um, that I work with is really around sort of a supply chain process. So looking at a process end-to-end -end and having a team that's responsible for optimising that process technology that enables that optimization, but also data and machine learning to find automations and improvements of that process. Just like it was the greatest coupling, you know, I could have ever imagined. So I've got a really capable team on the data side and the technology side, bringing together a bunch of people who are really passionate about process improvement. Um, and after the last couple of years, we've had um, working through many, many grants um, in this department. Um, I think they're very pleased to have some allies on the optimization and data side to help them um, maybe move uh, and do things a little bit differently um, compared to what they've been doing in the past. Mate, that is that is excellent. Um, yeah, I've, I've, um, I've found um, similar, similar learnings on, on my side, also kind of by chance that in, in my day job, I work in healthcare and a health tech business, and I look after... Uh, data analytics and the technology side, and then bringing those together, I've been surprised by the the benefits. Um, sometimes, like small things, or making data, making changes to the technology, and making sure that there's data people in there to help define the the data validation, data quality that's being um, captured, and then um, having a a bit a bit of a say, at least a voice, in in the process of designing our technology systems and how that's uh, then that that is captured and then flows downstream. It makes things a lot easier and better on the data warehousing, on the analytics and reporting, and on the data science side. Once um, you're able to have that that better integration um, on your side, have you have you seen any other types of um, of 
um, improvements or, or anything, any other type of value by that is coming from this integration? In your case, you're having in more areas. Um, but what, what are some, some examples, I guess, of, um, of the benefits of that integration that you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, of course, there are process benefits um, in terms of, you know, having effectively a sandbox environment with a team who is very open to change to kind of, you know, really push into some of those questions around, can we do things faster? Can we do things more efficiently? Where does technology fit in this process? How do we implement that? And how do we make it better for people? Um, so from a, from a, from a machine learning and innovation perspective, it's great, right? Cause I've got a bunch of t- team members who really like to get their hands on new tools and new ways of doing things. And they've got an operations team that's open to working and collaborating with them on those things. Mm-hmm. So what, one of the biggest, um, innovations that I would say we've implemented in the last 12 months, um, is we have a process, um, with our grants whereby, um, organizations, uh, have to provide evidence at three points in a grant. So the grant runs for 12 months mm-hmm. and at three points in that grant, they have to provide evidence that in, in our case, that they have uh, employed somebody for that period of time to receive a wage subsidy from us. So if you sort of extrapolate that, we've got 10,000 people placed into work multiplied by three points where they have to uh, provide evidence and often that evidence is duplicated. So you may have two or three or four pieces mm-hmm. of evidence within each of those milestone windows. So we're talking tens to hundreds of thousands of records and documents and PDFs and images and things. Um, and before we started our digital transformation at JobsVic, um, we had uh, some very, uh, a lot smaller, like it was a lot smaller scope and we got an increased scope sort of at the end of 2020. And the thought of having to manually process all of that documentation was quite daunting for a number of people who had been doing it a long time and sort of thinking to it to themselves, wow, like, what are we going to do here? Like, we can't process hundreds of thousands of documents. And when you think about what the process looks like, it's like, right, okay, I've got an open a PDF. I've got to read a payslip and check that all the details on the payslip are accurate, make sure that it is an accurate payslip. Mm-hmm. And then manually move some data from there into a spreadsheet, right? And then push that somewhere else so that someone else then checks my work because I may have done it wrong, right? So there's two steps of QA after that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so of course, you know, there must be a better way. Of course there is. Um, I've got a really awesome data scientist or data engineer. He's kind of a jack of all trades in my team mm-hmm. um, who we had worked previously in another department before we arrived and had a project that we had done previously um, which was sort of similar uh, using um, optical character recognition uh-huh. um, modeling models. So let me just step back a sec. The, the, the way we used um, those models um, in the previous role was we were trying to, um, to find swimming pools right across Victoria. And ah. we, we trained a model to essentially find swimming pools from aerial imagery data that we had access to uh, from the department and the idea was around compliance, right? So there were changes to swimming pool fencing regulations. Each of the 70 or so local government areas were looking to then have to go and like door knock and like check them yeah. individually. So we built this model, we found all the swimming pools, we geocoded them and then provided that data out to all the councils. So we come over here, awesome. we've got a totally different area that we're working on. And I said to Gustav, surely there's a way that we can use this technology in 
say, a payslip kind of, you know, to, to scan payslips and automatically verify them. Because when you start to look at the variability of a payslip, it's actually not that different. Yeah. So you've got key value pairs that you're looking for in terms of salary and dates and names and job titles and ABNs and things. So it actually, like from a model perspective, is actually a really good candidate for OCR. So we go through the process. He starts to do some skunk works in the background um, in our AWS environment and comes up with a great model. Um, and he's, he's a very humble guy. So just kind of sitting around and saying, oh, I think I can get the accuracy a bit higher on this. It's currently at 80 82% and I reckon I can get it to 86%. I'm like, mate, we're already at 80, right? Exactly. We're the manual process. Amazing. Anyway, so like fast forward to uh, to now, we've actually fully implemented that into the process for those claims. So the OCR tool will automatically check those payslips when they get entered. Uh, we have a Salesforce front end as well. Uh, scans, gets the data out and then provides an accuracy score um, and a verification score. So the team doesn't have to look at all of them. There's still a human in the loop. There's QA checks to verify that the model's doing as it should. Mm -hmm. But we've estimated that we've saved, in terms of staffing hours, about uh, $500,000 a year worth of staffing costs by Amazing. automating that process. And I can't tell you how excited some of the uh the more experienced people working in that team were when we said, oh, hey, guess what? You don't have to manually check these uh, these payslips anymore. You know, it's it's um, it's um quite rewarding. And when you're working in an area where there's an immediate impact on mm. another area of your team and you see that, that's when you realise that what you're doing actually is having an impact on the business area. Um and just like to kind of go away from the technical side, the other benefits that we've noticed having these kind of areas coupled together is that halo effect across the broader group. Mm -hmm. So we've got roughly 250 staff across um, our area. And of course, when you start to showcase these great innovations that you're doing and people go, that's magic, that's amazing. How do you do that? I can't believe it. They start to get curious and interested in what you do, which has been really beneficial for us because we've also been doing a big digital transformation of the employment services sector. So when you get people in the delivery area who maybe aren't so you know technically savvy or know what can be done with data, and they come asking questions like, "Oh, how did you do that?" and "Oh, you know, I'm really interested in learning more about this," we can then start to say, "Well, actually, we'd like to get you involved in this other project over here because we need your." expertise in the actual business area to help guide our digital transformation, our data requirements. So um, look, you know, it's not perfect, but it is good to see that people appreciate and value that work and the work that we're doing. Mate, a hundred percent. That is, that is very exciting, very exciting work. Um, the, the, you know, the journey from doing um, aerial, aerial or image recognition on, on pools and, and geocoding those um, to then coming over uh, to this side of the fence and doing that on OCR. Um, that's that's amazing. And man, the, the, the benefits and then the traction in the organization really helps uh, move the, the snowball of change uh, for the digital transformation. So that's that's super, super exciting. And I, I was going to ask you, and you answered some of these questions uh, along the way, like whether you use cloud and you're on AWS, you mentioned, and um, you also use Salesforce. Um, and my day job, we have a very similar um, setup. So I'm, I'm going to be picking your brain, um, um, you know, afterwards offline uh, on, on things that we could do because we're also Salesforce, AWS, and we also use um, Duo CR and 
but your example is, is awesome. Uh, May, I wanted to see if we can um, take a take a step back and think um, think about digital transformations um, from from a general perspective. Or, um, and I wanted to get your thoughts on recommendations for people on on that could be starting digital transformations or that are on the on the road to digital transformations. What what type of things do you think are are critical to to get right or to have in place early uh, when starting the the journey on a on a digital transformation? Uh, yeah, that's a really good question, and um, I've been reflecting on this quite uh, a bit recently because we've just done a refresh of our data, uh, digital strategy um, for mm. the next few years. And so I've had to think back and reflect back on where we started with our digital transformation mm. journey um, and the things that we got right, but also the things that we probably should have or might have done differently in hindsight. Um, so just to give you a bit of context, um, I, I came over to Jobs Victoria when it was um, what was called Working for Victoria in March 2020. So you'll remember wow. that, that was the very beginning of the pandemic. Uh, I think Victoria started going into lockdown around the same time uh, that I moved into this role. And it was very much um, at that point in time, government was reorganising itself to manage and respond to COVID. Um, so when you get a call up from someone that says, hey, there's a COVID task force, they need your help. You know, you sort of, you know, you you're obliged to kind of, you know, say yes, of course, I'll, I'll help. You know, mm -hmm. initially was a six week stint, and it's been two and a half years, and I haven't left, so that might be saying something. But at the very beginning, you know, you came in, and it was like utter chaos. You know, I arrived on the first week, there were people running around everywhere. Um, I, I even shudder to remember the day I saw the master spreadsheets that everyone was using to track all of the um, data that we were managing at that point in time. And every day I was very nervous that that was going to break. Mm. You know, you've got 20, 30 people trying to make changes to a spreadsheet and you're like, oh, this is not really going to survive if I don't do something about this. So we like, just to say, we started from very humble beginnings and uh, there was a lot of work that we needed to do to set up foundations in a time when there was a lot of reactivity and a lot of expectations on us. So, you know, we've got ministers asking for data every day, you know, people really wanting to know where things were going and how fast we could move on things. And that meant that we had to sort of step back and have a think about what are those key things that we knew that we were going to need to be able to get this thing kind of into a next state of maturity. We didn't have a strategy then, right? We were just thinking tactically and didn't have kind of a roadmap. So when we started, we were like, okay, the thing we know that's going to persist at the end of all this is the data, right? So the technology will come and go, the program will come and go, but the data is something that will always be there. Right. That, that being something that one of my former bosses and mentors did say to me, that everything comes back atomically to the data. So mm -hmm. always remember that the data is key. And so we spent a fair bit of time early on, despite all of the kind of, you know, chaos, thinking really hard about what that data environment and kind of foundational environment need to be. So very quickly stood up some cloud um, services through AWS. We've got S3 buckets moving. We've got Lambda functions. It's just, it was a very bootstrapped kind of, you know, environment, but it was better than the spreadsheet, right? So we were always thinking about the iterative improvements that we could make. And so we went from that 
to, you know, now we've got, you know, robust data pipelines, we've got, you know, data warehousing, we use Snowflake on top of AWS to kind of put some structure around the data. And we've got sources of truth and a lot more rigor around data management, data quality and things, but it didn't start there. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things that I reflect on that um, has been really valuable was having good technical people and bringing them in very early on. Mm-hmm. I think it's very easy to kind of get too caught up in sort of what you have to do today and not focus enough on what you need to do tomorrow, especially in that situation. So I had a great senior technical um, architect that I brought on very quickly, um, a technology project manager who is now um, my technology delivery director and them together with a couple of additional uh, data analysts and data scientists were able to, I was able to give them the space really just to kind of say, Hey, there's all this stuff going on over here. Let me take care of that. I need you to make sure that we've got the the, the house in order. We need to get the hygiene factors and the, the the environment right. That I think looking back and looking at where we are now, we still have those kind of same, you know, systems and, uh, you know, foundations that we've now sort of scaled and built into things like our Salesforce integration um, and other applications that we've put on top of the stack over the last couple of years. So I think, you know, and I'm tooting the horn, right? Cause I'm a data person, you know, by trade, but, you know, really thinking hard about sort of what that sort of structural foundational, um, you know, that foundation needs to be. And then the other one, and uh, you know, this is probably, um, easy to look, you know, with rose tinted glasses on is to have an ambition, Mm. You know, um, it, it's it's been interesting. I've spent quite a number of years working in the public service and, you know, the level of comparison between sort of, you know, a government agency and a private sector company when it comes to digital transformation and data seems to be sort of sometimes out of whack. Like we expect that private sector agencies are better at it because they've, you know, they've got more funding, there's more of a, you know, remit and attitude towards, you know, digital transformation, data analytics, um, or, you know, they're just a bit further ahead than us. And we get this uh, maybe unfair sometimes um, comparison that says that government's always lagging behind, you know, Mm. and we're always trying to catch up with the private sector. Um, And sometimes we don't really do ourselves any favours in that because we sort of say, well, yes, there's a lot of other factors that make us unique and difficult and, you know, bureaucracy is a different thing to a private sector, but essentially it's not really, right? Like it's an organisation that has a series of constraints um, and a series of opportunities. And if you've got the right people in the right authorising environment, you can, you know, you can execute that, right? So, you know, we've, we've set ourselves a pretty big ambition, or I have for the team, which says, we don't compare ourselves to government. Like that's not a thing that we want to do. Um, the measure we have of success is that we do things in our area that people outside of government look at and say, wow, that's really innovative. That's really interesting. You know, how do you do that? And you get asked, you know, hey, maybe we can collaborate on a project together because what you're doing here, you know, to play around healthcare and the work that you do is directly relevant to something else. And, and that's that's been really important to me because, you know, my team are excellent and, you know, the market is very hard, you know, and hot at the moment. So keeping them is very challenging. But um, I want them to know that um, if they come and work in an area like ours, in a government environment, they're going to learn a lot, but they're going to be, you know, 
very enticing to potential future employers as well. Um, and, I, and I often had joked to staff in the past that, you know, when people like Google come poaching you and, you know, big tech companies want to poach you into their organizations, I feel like I've done my job appropriately because you've got the requisite skills that make you, you know, um, appealing and attractive to companies who I look at and think, wow, you're doing kind of, you know, the, the leading and bleeding edge stuff. Yeah. So um, I don't know where we can't, how we kind of got to here, but right. essentially awesome. I think it's, you know, thinking about the foundations and, you know, what you can do iteratively to kind of build up to a much more robust and, you know, solid base of capabilities, but then also, you know, not getting too caught up in just doing what's here, trying to have a bit of a future ambition towards what you'd like to do and having the motivation and the kind of, you know, ability to get your team to kind of believe in that ambition and really feel like they can push and innovate and try things without fear of failure and, you know, mm-hmm. um, giving them that space to try things so that when they come to you and say, oh, hey, I had some spare time and I've built this, you know, great model, you don't go, oh, hey, but you've got all these other things that you need to do. You say, excellent, how do we implement that? You know, it's, yeah. just, it's a mindset thing, I think, sometimes. Definitely, mate, that is that is outstanding. Um you know, like one one of the main reasons, if not the main reason, that I studied data futurology was to highlight that people highlight the journey of people that come from a from a data background, how they can get to executive positions where they have a broad remit looking after things outside of the data space. And what does that what does that journey look like and, and sort of help people um in their career about being able to even at one stage, even think that that's possible, but then secondly, being able to get the the tools to um, uh, to and, and the confidence uh, to be able to do that. And mate, your journey and what you've done is a excellent, excellent example. Um, and one of the things that I've learned um, in time doing data futurology, where we've done over two hundred episodes um, of the podcast, and then we also do the private and public events like the conference, um, is that. One, like one of the things that I've learned is that to drive change in organizations, you need you need leaders with um, I think three like core skills, really important skills that I think you you exhibit really well, um, and they are uh, courage. So coming having the courage to make organizational change, uh, and what I mean is that the change is always difficult. You're always going to be creating waves throughout the organization. Um, and it's 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 easy not to rock the boat or easier. Um, and so having the courage, and I think is is really important. Then having the vision of what it could be, um, and part of that vision is having an appropriate uh, measuring stick. You know, and as you're describing, you're measuring yourself externally rather than than internally, or or having a, an easier um, measuring stick. You're you're going for for a tough one, and that's part of the. The vision of, of what what you guys um, can be and where you'd like to get to, and then the third one I think is um, organizational clout. So I think if if a leader doesn't doesn't have the um, the clout in the organization, then they can't get the backing to be able to um, act on the the changes and and create this this snow, snowball effect. Um, and yeah, from from your uh, what you achieve. Um, then you definitely tick tick all the all the three um, that I've been thinking about. But how how do you see it? How do you see it being able to 
create change, particularly in, in you know, large bureaucratic organizations. Uh, as you were saying, it's akin to large corporates where the momentum is kind of going in one direction um, and you want to create a change for something for something better. Um, what what do you see as the, the leadership requirements uh, to be able to do that and, and steps that, that you've taken and that people can take to to be able to drive that that change? Yeah, uh, that's a very interesting and uh, sort of multi-factored question. I'll try my best to answer it. Um, but I totally agree with you um, on the three sort of key aspects. I think that's definitely, um, you know, uh, resonates with me. Uh, but I think there's there's a few things, right? So for me, understanding the organisational environment and being able to uh, work with people and build strong relationships with people that help you build your network inside the organisation to help you sort of push that change um, through. So having people who understand the work that you do, maybe not at the technical level, but at least at the benefits, understand the benefits of what you do to be able to help you sort of uh, facilitate the change as well. Like it's very difficult as a single person to be able to affect change on mass in an organization without some, you know, really strong strategic leaders that sit around you and work with you on that. So I think that's, that's one of those things. Um, the other thing is sometimes uh, you have to agitate, um, you know, some, a lot of the times you're doing things that are different and that are maybe not uh, things that the organisation is familiar with or comfortable doing. And so a lot of times you'll be making decisions and trying to do things and pushing people into areas where they feel uncomfortable. And it's making sure that people are brought on that journey, but also, um, you know, you you really need to add, keep on agitating because there are parts of an organisation, I suspect, you know, everywhere where there are things that constrain your ability to make change. So procurement, you know, is sometimes a constraint, mm-hmm. uh, you know, legal and, you know, yeah. um, risk. privacy is a constraint, mm-hmm. risk. Mm-hmm. There's a whole range of areas. And that's not to say that you bypass it. It's not, yeah. it's, it's, that's to, it's actually the opposite. It's understanding the, the constraints of the particular areas and then being able to work collaboratively with those areas to sort of find a common ground that allows you to keep moving forward. Um, procurement's a really good example. We've had, uh, a number of engagements with our internal procurement team who are excellent and have helped us so much in the last couple of years to think creatively and differently about how procurement as an instrument helps support technology delivery and, and digital transformation. And, you know, oftentimes in government, you'll be asked today, we've got a new initiative that we're announcing, let's go, let's do it. And then all of a sudden, that's when all of the process begins, right? It might be a yeah. 16 to 26-week procurement exercise, making sure that it's all fair and transparent, um, you know, and then you've got to start the project. And so nobody wants to hear, hey, come back to me in six months and I will have started the project. So I think there's 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 all those things. And I think, you know, continuing to find opportunities to say, yeah, I know that this is the process, but let's let's just talk about what some alternatives might be. How can we help? How can you help us? How can we help you kind of, you know, break break the mold a bit? But I think the other thing too is that I've been very fortunate and I'm still fortunate to have really great leaders around me that support me, but also provide great mentorship. And 
you know, thinking about my journey and, you know, where I am now, which, you know, this is one of the best jobs I've had in my career, right? Um, it's been made possible because I've had people around me that are willing to give their time to me to help me understand what being a leader means outside of a technical craft, yeah. but also making sure that I've got good technical mentors that help me stay stay close to the technical aspects of the work. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I'm not on the tools as much as I'd like to be and the team get annoyed when I start, you know, digging into the environments yeah. and start playing around. Yeah. But Play you know, for me. <laughs> uh, because that's fun, right? I, 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 it's fun, but I'm, I'm, I'm at risk of breaking something if I do that. So, um, but, but it's, but it's been really good. I've got some really, um, you know, some really valuable technical mentors that I speak to quite regularly. And it's really just about having someone who understands the technical aspects has maybe tread that path before with you or just understands it to a level that you don't. And you're able to test things and really clarify and reflect on your own approaches and how it works. <clears throat> For me, that's been that's been really really useful. But you know, I'm, I'm, it sounds like it's all you know beautiful and you know rosy. Oh. It's not. It's hard. Sometimes things don't work. We have not done everything in the way that you know we could have. You know, have we been successful? I would say yes. Um, have we met all of our objectives? Definitely not. Um, and you know, probably the the final kind of reflection on that question would be, you know, um, and this is going to sound really cliched, but um, the journey is probably more important than the destination when it comes to transformation, right? So, you know, you may have an ambition that says by 2025, we would like to get to this point. If you don't get there, that doesn't mean you failed. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that you've done along the way where you look back and say, well, if I don't reach this, you know, there, there's there's often a, you know, a disappointment factor if you get three quarters of the way through and then you don't kind of get to that last quarter of stuff. Yeah. But, you know, having having reflected recently and looking back on all the things we've achieved, what I realised was we didn't celebrate as many of the wins along the way that we could have and we've actually done a really good job and we're, we're comfortable knowing that we've got to a point and we may not get to the next stage and that's okay and, uh, you know, that's the whole point of having an ambition and a vision, right? Is that it's a vision and it's an ambition. If you get there, you know, fantastic. But also don't, don't, don't be too hard on yourself if you get, you know, part the way there and you've achieved some really good things. Cause you know, the team need that as well. They need to to feel valued and they need to know that the things that they're doing are important and valued by the organization. Yeah. And, and, and the vision is, is more times than not, it's going to be a stretch target. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hitting, you know, 60%, 50%, 70% of it is is excellent. And and uh, as you say, looking back, you can see the huge difference to how things were to how things are now as a result of that. Uh, so I love that. I love that, mate. That is that is excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, one, one last question is uh, you're going to be speaking at our next conference. Um, what Can you yes. give us a, a, a sneak peek about anything from from that side? I feel like I've given away all of the secrets of my presentation in this podcast. I probably should have done this. Good, time. good. No, uh, mate, that's great. So uh, we've actually been on the road doing a few showcases of our work over the last few weeks and really wanting to focus in at the conference around how we're delivering, uh, you know, citizen experiences um, in government using data and technology. So um, probably go into more depth about the OCR work, which Mm -hmm. is one of my favourite topics to talk about, probably one of the greatest things that we've done 
in my from my perspective, other people would say that you know getting people into work is great, and I'm not saying it's not right. Um, it's fantastic that people are supported into work from the things that our team does. It's quite extraordinary the types of stories we hear about people um, who have not worked for a long time or have barriers to employment getting work. Um, but then I put my tech hat on and I go, wow, we deployed an OCR tool in government in a very short space of time that helped save thousands of hours of work. How cool is that, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's that. Um, but also um, want to share what we're planning to do next. Um, we're in a really exciting period where we've done a lot of foundational work over the last 18 months with our digital transformation. And we've got lots and lots of ideas about the ways in which we can continue to improve the employment services sector in Victoria. So uh, hoping that I can share a bit of that at the conference with uh, those that attend in a few weeks' time. I love it. I love it. That'll be excellent. So October 25th in Melbourne, we're going to have that MLOps conference. Brad will be there. Hope everyone can join. And mate, thank you so much for taking the time to share your journey, your lessons, your experience, your thoughts on the work that you've been doing over the past few years. It's been outstanding. So thank you so much for sharing all that. Oh, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. So thanks for um, having me on board. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn or Instagram as datafuturology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.